Well, hey there, Chip and Ben here, and thanks for joining us today for another charitable discourse. You know, unity is an extremely popular word in our culture today, and in the midst of so much division in our political and cultural discourse, everyone is calling for unity. Unity without compromise. So what is it that we are called to unify around as the church? Paul talks about unity quite a bit, actually, in Scripture. Scripture reminds us that we are not citizens of this world, but the bride of Christ, called to bring light to the redemption that comes from him. So in today's episode, we take a look at what believers are called to unify around and when we are called to stand firm in the faith. Let's begin a charitable discourse. All right, Chip. Well, hey, man, we're we're on a roll. Two podcasts in, right? Starting to get in the groove. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Feels good, though. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to this every week. It's on the schedule. Um, It's a priority to us. Thinking about prepping for it. I'm juiced. It's exciting. There's definitely uh, enough to to talk about and to to study on right now. I think we got a new name. We do. We do. Charitable Discourse. And, uh, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, in starting this new year, um, really wanting to spend a little bit more time in depth on some of these topics that we yeah. discuss. And, you know, we kind of rattled around a few different name options and uh, this one seemed to, to rise to the top for both of us. Yeah, I think both words in that are important. Charitable, uh, because again, a, a characteristic of the kingdom. Is, Not of this world that we are seeing right now. Right. We can talk through and try to understand truth mm-hmm. in a in a loving, kind way. Where yeah. We listen to one another and we think through together yeah. instead of just talking points and trying to make points and throwing arrows. Yeah. So that was important. Discourse, it's Commun- a conversation. Yeah. We're, we're just, we're communicating yeah. what the word says and through the uh, interpreting the world through the lens of scripture. And discourse for us means that we're hopeful that what we talk about here sparks conversations for you with other people and even with us, like those mm-hmm. of you that listen and are a part of our community of faith or a community, we want to continue to just talk about these things. So discourse is a, an important word for us. Yeah, we wanted it to encompass grace and truth, both. That's right. That's and right. I, we live in a culture right now where, uh, you know, we've seen an imbalance of this, whether it's all grace foregoing truth or truth without any sort of love or grace attached to it. Both of those are damaging to the kingdom. And the church has been characterized by one or the other through history, and it's always suffered. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But Jesus, who, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory Mm. of the, you know, the one and only, and he was full of these two things at once grace and truth and that's why he's the most winsome person to ever live yeah you know because he was full of both of these things and the church needs to be called back to that that should be the kingdom characteristic yeah hence charitable discourse and so here we are and today we're going to talk about a word that we've been hearing a lot about right unity unify Let's get back together. Let's whatever that means. And usually every four years we we hear this, right? Because it's whoever wins, they want to unify for their agenda. And um, every four years we hear it. <laughs> and I was so, laughing about a, a 
uh, video I sent you from Frank Caliendo. Yeah. Uh, if you if you know who that is, look on Twitter or something. It, talking about the latest presidential speech, the inauguration speech, and playing off that word unity. <laughs> yeah. He's hilarious. He is. He is. He always kind of brings some levity to the situation. Yeah. And, yeah. and But you're gets right. A laugh. That word was used over and over last Wednesday. Yeah. By our new president. Yeah, absolutely. Because we do realize that the world's a better place when we live in unity. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, What but, is happening, though? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I think Scripture says quite a bit about unity and what it looks like to live unified and what it is that we rally around to, to live in unity about. So Yeah, and I think that's what we want to dive into today is what is the most important unity we're supposed to have? And why do we seem to have trouble as citizens of America finding unity, but in greater measure, and for us as kingdom citizens? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, look, Jesus, as he is Thursday night before the cross, praying over his disciples, praying for us, he uses this word, one, unity. I pray, Father, that they might be one. I mean, it's on his heart as he's going to the cross that his people are together. They are one body one people. And then you look at the book of Acts, the church starts this phenomenon that changes the world. One of the common themes through the book of Acts is the people were on the same page. They were together. The power of the Holy Spirit existed when they together had a common goal, common purpose, common beliefs, and used and stayed together. And then you see Paul, I mean, epistle after epistle to a church in Rome, to a church in Corinth, to a church in Ephesus. I mean, look at how many times he's saying, like, one of my greatest desires, the thing that I'm praying about, I'm hoping for, is that you stay as one. You're unified. I mean, I I just could go down the reference and the reference and the references of where he says this, but you can't help but walk away if you're reading the New Testament story for the first time and say, well, one of the things that matters to God is that his people have unity. And so this is not a new thing in the kingdom, but it is a very tested and tried thing. Yeah, yeah. Again, Paul writing, uh, be made complete in the same mind in 1 Corinthians and the same judgment. Um, You know, he goes on in Colossians to talk about that, being, being raised up with Christ and seeking things above and... And being set your mind on these things and, and not on the things of the earth and just being, again, being unified around around what? Around who Christ is and what he's done for us and and this 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 sanctified life of living of of making disciples yeah. and, and and sharing the word. And and I think unfortunately the church has has um has maybe divorced Christ in a sense and has married the world. And I think the very thing that we have um have that we have come to to set free and to redeem, we've gotten into bed with. And I and yeah. from there you get all this crossed up theology uh based on uh cultural moralism at in the day, uh versus what scripture actually says. And um guess what? We we read a book that's extremely um uh, offensive, and and it's offensive because we're sinners. Yep, we're we're born into this world uh, sinful, and and we need to experience the grace of God. 
through Christ to, um, you know, to, to be made new, to be made clean, to be restored into who we were created to be ultimately. And, and in the meantime, you know, so much of the, the biblical illiteracy and, and the American church and what it's done is it's paved the way for cultural moralism to seep into the church. Right, and we don't know what we stand for, why we stand for things. We've lost our sense of identity. Our primary identity is, I like this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. Like, mm. that is, like you're saying, Christ comes full of grace and truth. He sets us free and calls us to a new identity. It's a kingdom identity. And that is at odds with the world around us. And so how, how in the world do we understand what that looks like in a, in a world that's fallen, in kingdoms that have their own agendas and have their own value systems and have their own goals? And then you bring in the concept of a, of a country that you and I are both citizens of mm-hmm. that had Christian principles at play in its origin— and so it's been easy for people to lose a sense of kingdom identity and it be lost in an American identity. Yeah. And it's it's been a mess. Yeah. And and I get why people have struggled yeah. and have lost their way. But that's why it's so important for the church to stay true to its primary identity of the gospel of the kingdom mm-hmm. and to figure this out because what's happened is not working. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited about the next few podcasts that we do because we are going to get into a lot of the details in our culture and, and maybe ways that they contradict or don't fulfill what scripture says. And I'm excited about the place that our church is in right now, the, 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 the national, but then the global church, because we have an opportunity to shine bright because, you know, for, for too long, like you said, it's, it's, you know, um, Christian nationalism, and now we have woke Christianity, and both of them are distortions of the faith. We have God, guns, and glory on one end, where, but then also we've got part of that Christian national or uh, the American church. I guess I would I would maybe say is this um, this tourism right, Tre- treating church like a commodity, uh, c- consumeristic. consumeristic. We aim absolutely. to please and yep. go when it's convenient for you. And, and then on the other hand of it, we have uh, social justice wars and all of these types of, um, you know, just just bent up theological kind of ideas coming from from woke culture that uh, really don't don't reflect the totality of what Scripture says. Both of them have taken pieces of Scripture right. to fit the narrative of their political ideology and party. Yeah, and uh, so, absolutely, hundred percent. You know, and so what do we, so, so in this conversation, I think for us is, is what is it that believers are called to unite around and how do we get back to a place of being able to sift out what it is that's, um, cultural and what, what it is that's biblical. So for me, I had, I had one of these illustrations the other day, uh, somebody who is very discouraged about the direction of our country Mm -hmm. and like. They're sharing like, I'm at a loss. Which is half of America at any given time. Right. I'm at a loss of what to pray for and what to uh, look for. And for me, it was like, oh my goodness. 
Like we truly have lost our way. Mm. When we are despondent because things in our country haven't gone our way, when we are a part of something that is everlasting, eternal, that doesn't matter what the culture around us is doing, Mm -hmm. it's the kingdom. And so we're always praying that the kingdom would succeed. And the fact that our people and people who are identifying as Christians are completely despondent is a it's a lack of identity in who we truly are. And I think that's where this conversation has to start is unity is rooted in identity. And that's right. we have to be seeing ourselves, considering ourselves as kingdom citizens above every other citizenry, any other allegiance. And that's very hard, especially in America, for people to do because for so long, Christians have married the two. Like they go hand in hand. Guess what? Mm -hmm. Christ never came so that the United States of America was his primary vehicle of the gospel. Absolutely not. But people don't get that. It's amazing. And so it's going to take concerted effort and a willingness to reject thought patterns and and ideologies and philosophies that we've had and say, whoa, 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 my primary allegiance is as a kingdom citizen. And I have got to discern through where maybe my my understanding of what is Christian, what is kingdom, has been influenced by policies and country uh, values, right? Mm-hmm. Like, w- w- for instance, like like you said earlier, God, guns, glory, right? Like, <laughs> I almost think some people think the Second Amendment, yeah, is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> yeah, preach, man. Uh, listen, I I'm not here to make a conversation about the Second Amendment. Yeah. Okay. Um. But I will tell you, the Second Amendment is not in the Sermon on the Mount. No. Like, you can still look and live and be Jesus, even if you live in a culture that doesn't allow you to have any kind of firearms. Yeah. Like, the fact if that wasn't true, yeah, you still could be in God's perfect will and plan for your life. Yeah. But see how people, they associate Christian with Second Amendment or, mm-hmm. and I know I'm picking on that right now. I'm not trying to, because mm-hmm. if you know me, like I'm not trying to pick on that, but that is troublesome that that's how it's gotten so miswired in our minds and in our hearts. Yeah. Our identity is the kingdom of God. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm actually a part of something that is global, mm-hmm. not just national. Yeah. My yeah. brothers and sisters are in Africa right now. My family is all around this world. Yeah. And you know, for me, I've got some some dear friends down in Haiti, and I really try to see scripture through their lens, yes. the way that they see it. That's right. Because again, yeah, our just everything from a consumer standpoint to a, a social standpoint has been um has has so distorted uh what what biblical Christianity looks like. And so, you know, my prayer, I've returned to the Sermon on the Mount quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, just just praying that God would open my eyes to see to see scripture the way that that he intended it. 
Do you think like with the consumeristic standpoint, Ben, like, so there were decisions made over the last 50 years, or I, I don't know what the time frame is, is that, okay, if we call people to a kingdom citizenry, the Sermon on the Mount, like, those are some very countercultural values. Well, let's take a step back, man. I mean, what are the what are the lead measures for success from a denominational standpoint? It's finances and it's how many people. It's bodies. Nickels and noses is what and they so use. And so in an effort in in in, in, a, in a desire to stay quote unquote relevant, we start to uh maybe forego and and this is the time of humility for for us or or at least a time to just think back judgment begins in the house of god right absolutely and so where have we completely missed it or uh looked over um hey let's open church with a secular song and let's make it convenient and you know honestly man for me personally i'm struggling with the idea of online church we'll see this through through the pandemic yeah um but what am i what am i what am i teaching to our people the value yeah what do i what do i tell them is acceptable of what quote unquote church is mm-hmm. is it watching for an hour on sunday morning and tuning in or rewatching it later because you felt like you had something better to do or is it as x you know constantly shows us together together yeah just breaking bread together and, and doing right. this together and that together and do one another's and um there's not a lot of that you get from online. Yeah, it, it seems like okay. So we want to we want to be relevant, want to be successful. So we decide to buy into some of the things that our culture accepts. We de-emphasize yeah. some of the kingdom values and ethics that are countercultural. They're never going to be popular. And what we've created is a church based on a weird. Um, mismatch of mm-hmm. of uh, national values and kingdom values it's right. very con- con- confusing and with a desire for nickels and noses we can, we you know we sit silent on some of the most important things and i, I think you and i both have felt convicted over this over the last year or so is how sure. do we how do we begin to you know dig ourselves out of that and, and it's going to be offensive to some but that's okay I, I, I know, but we have to get back to what the church was intended to be. Mm-hmm. N- not Republican, not Democrat, kingdom. Yeah. And guess what? It is going to be offensive to a Republican and a Democrat. What the, what the values is, of the kingdom. And you you're on the right track. That's it. Like we were never, what did, what did the Sermon on the Mount say as yeah. he finishes the blessed, you know, the blessed life? He said, mm-hmm. blessed are you when you are persecuted and reviled and all manner of things yeah. are said against you. Yeah. Because that comes hand in hand with being pure in heart, with being a peacemaker, with with being meek, with poor in spirit, mm-hmm. right? Like our identity has to be in the in the kingdom. Yeah, and I, I refuse to continue to beat a nationalist drum if it violates a kingdom principle. Amen. I don't care if it's my. My my good friend, my brother, yeah. who's trying to say, no, this is what Christian is, but it's tied into a national value that's mm-hmm. not necessarily a kingdom principle, then I have to have the willingness to say, guess what? That's not who I am. I'm about the kingdom. Right. And the problem is, you know, we love making overgeneralizations about groups of people. 
right? And so this election I felt like was worse than any I've experienced in my lifetime. Um, but, and it's, it's not to be the worst ever, I think. But, um, you know, we've got, we've got this, both, both, both parties stand for things that are, that are enforced in scripture, that are reinforced in scripture. Um, humane treatment of people on all levels, both parties stand for that. It's just silly that I posted something a couple, you know, this last week, like I want the party that's for the humane treatment of every single person. Not just the groups that we have to that we're encamped to, you know, that to are speak a voting block against. for us. Yeah, that are a voting block. And um, and so yeah, we've got we've got a long way to go. But again, I'm encouraged by the. But don't you think that like because our identity has been misplaced in maybe a political party, that we have adopted attitudes and actions toward others that are not Christ-like. Mm-hmm. And that we have overvalued certain things and have like said, okay, so that party over there that I'm not a part of, they are strong about this particular thing that actually might be mimicked in scripture or there might be a truth to that, a principle. But we don't identify with it at all because we can't because we have to stay in our our camp. Mm -hmm. And the kingdom should be blowing all that up. We should be taking fire on both sides Mm -hmm. from our culture, from all sides. Yeah. Because what Jesus stood for, it is the only life-changing, transforming thing in the world. Absolutely. But it's not easy and it's not popular. Yeah. And that's where unity, that's where unity should be based is in our identity as a kingdom citizen. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, we talked about it, woke Christians and nationalist Christians. Yeah. In our same... Christian fellowships. Yeah, they exactly. And what then, in the world's going on with that? Because they're standing for, for things that, and and they're they're not at unity with one another. Right. And I'm afraid that some of it has come, from, their identity being misplaced. Yeah. And they've allowed, the influences of whatever part political parties of causes, to form their understanding of what it is to be a kingdom citizen. Yeah. So then I think that brings us to the second point. Okay. So Mm -hmm. what do you do? Okay. So our identities in the kingdom and truth, who is Jesus. I think there's a valid conversation to be had about what if these people, and this is happening, are interpreting truth differently. Right. 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 I mean, we are the this we're living in the product of a biblically illiterate culture. That well, there's we have no helped. objective truth. It, exactly. It's a postmodern culture where all truth is relative and my truth and your truth and this is, you know, this is it's all great. Your truth is okay for you and my truth is okay for me and I'm like, "Listen, my truth doesn't come from me." That's right. My truth comes from the authority that I've given to the Word of God. And if I don't agree with it, then guess who has to change? I don't have to do some sort of uh, theological cartwheel to understand and, and morph Scripture into believing what I, into being what I want it to be for me. I need to change my thoughts and my presuppositions and my thoughts uh, on how, you know, how I interpret it and then how I live it out. So I was taught this through seminary and through... Uh, just, uh, I've just always been taught this, and I, I, I see it more and more. 
if you are buying in to new truths and you are starting to accept teachings that have not existed in the church of Jesus Christ for the last 2,000 years, then you are uh, not in the truth. Yeah, benefit for us, right, is something that, I mean, we have we have experience and tradition to lean on, 1,900 years of it or more. Absolutely, and we see it affirmed. What's amazing is, look at, as the church is formed and the, the New Testament scriptures go out, that the truth is there, and yeah. then you have the people of the faith center around these things, uh, re- reduce them down to the essential teachings. Mm-hmm. Apostles Creed, yeah, the Nicene, Nicene Creed, Creed councils, you know, that existed. And now through the years, the tests of time, what has been right and what is truth has endured. And if all of a sudden, you know, like, no, this is not what the Bible was talking about. This is what we now have discovered. For me, I don't. I believe I'm centered around an objective, eternal word of God that has stood the test of time through all generations, all different types of ethnicities under the human race, everything, different uh, teachings, different variations of the, the the teaching, different interpretations, and yet what has stood as the essential truths. And that's what I'm centered around. And I'm not yeah. going to run after new truth. No, we need to Because I don't believe in new truth. New revelation and all this stuff. Or yeah. new interpretation. Like, right. th- that doesn't exist. And the king, that's where unity's found, mm-hmm. is when all of us can just uh, uh, create an attitude where I'm just open and, and, and committed to my life following that truth. Mm-hmm. And that truth has existed yeah. since Jesus Christ. And I know the Old Testament frames Jesus Christ, but let's just talk about the church and, you know, the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where unity will come, is if all of us will, will bend our wills and s- submit our hearts to whatever that book is teaching. Not running after new interpretations or new things, but sitting right in what it, it lifted out. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so we, we talk about the the Wesleyan quadrilateral, right? And We're big fans of. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, you know, and w- whether you're a, a fan of John Wesley or not, the truth of, 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 of that is is paramount because if we begin to flip that on its head, and we'll I'll just run through what the four are. Right. Uh, Somebody's like, I have no idea We're in a is. horrible, I mean, it's we're in a bad situation if, if we can't, and so sola scriptura, right? The authority of scripture, scripture Above alone. everything else. Um, and so that's, that's at the very top of everything. And then from there is, is our, our traditions. Yeah. What, what have God-fearing, sincere, Christ-following people through 2,000 years now, yeah. what have they found the truth to say? What has stood the test of time outside culture um, that's what's cool about looking back so many years is we're outside of our current cultural lens and, and reading reading what, what these men and women had to say. It's so helpful. We get to then interpret Scripture through an outside lens, mm-hmm. get to step back and diagnose the culture. Right. Whereas those people who are in the culture, they're trying to figure it out on the fly. They have no... 
what they've created is they have no moorings to go to. Mm-hmm. It's shifting, it's changing, it's relative, and it's it, it's got to be exhausting. So if you picture in your mind this this diamond kind of looking shape where at the very top of it is scripture standing alone all by itself. Yeah. And then secondary, the two points on the left and the right underneath it would be uh, tradition, tradition, but then also reason. Logic, yes. Or logic. Yeah, reason, yeah. Um, yeah, do you want to speak to that God at all? expects us to use his truth to then reason through and logically um, understand the contemporary culture and the issues and the thinking of our day. I mean, Paul is a master at this, right? He goes into uh, Mars Hill, and he sits and listens to the philosophies of this world, the concepts. He's willing to engage them with the primary purpose of trying to see how the truth then discerns why this is is lacking mm-hmm. or what needs to be spoke into that culture. And, and reason and logic is an important part of, uh, of understanding how to live out the kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's true. The scriptures don't spell out every scenario, right? Well, they speak to social media specifically, right? And <laughs> how to use your phone and your... Right. Or like, you know, like I've heard people tell me like, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say a word about this or this or this. You're right. Use your reason. Use your logic, yeah. take the scripture principles, and then apply them yep. to each thing. Yep. And, and then the bottom of that. All the way down at the bottom is experience. Yeah. What has worked? So like even when you look through a medical study, which I was doing this yesterday, um, they will take their premises, then they'll collect data, but then they will absolutely share this is what has been effectual in somebody's life. This is what's worked. And so to me, it's perfect. I take the scriptures. I understand them through the lens of tradition and reason. And then I see, wow, this really works in my life. That when I apply those things, I experience the promises of the scriptures, the truth of the scriptures, how it makes sense, how it orders my life Mm-hmm. in a way that is purpose-filled and it, 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 it that's the way I was designed and I'm getting to then experience that and uh, come on man both yeah. of us have people that have been guiding lights in our lives that what has helped us believe in the truth of scripture is we've watched them experientially live it out right it all makes sense. It works together. It's not like you're going to have truth, tradition, reason with no experience. Mm-hmm. The experience is like, hey, here's the here's the fruit yeah. of the truth. Well, and, and seeing it done and seeing how it's properly properly lived out. You know, I think for me, I've, I talked about it in our last podcast, but uh, I've been trying to make a concerted effort to read a bunch of dead people this year. Their works. Right. Because they stand outside of the whirlwind of the world that we live in. I'm not worried about the latest Francis Chan, Beth Moore, whatever study right now. I'm more interested in what do the men and women have to say that have gone before us, that have lived this lifetime? Because if I'm reading it, it probably stood the test of time. And um, and again, it's it's using tradition over my experience, over over anything that that I 
else that I might think or want to think, um, I'm, I'm just giving it over to that. So for me, like C.S. Lewis right. is, is one of my favorite authors. Listen, if C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis's works were not based on the truth. They'd be discarded. It'd have been it'd have been in a junk pile somewhere. We wouldn't even know who he is because there's a ton right. of authors from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s yeah. who shared things and wrote things that might have been super interesting mm-hmm. and super uh, seemingly effective in that day, but it bore it, it was born out as not being um, built around the powerful truth of the kingdom. Yeah. So I think what we're trying to say is. Unity comes from identity, right? Yeah. Our misunity in the country, but how it's affected the church is because we've misplaced our identity. Like we've grabbed a hold of something, maybe, okay, let's, let's, let's pick one that's kind of hot. Um, uh, social justice mm-hmm. uh, is a principle of the kingdom for there to be a just society. Is yeah. the kingdom just? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Should Christians fight for justice? Yeah. Absolutely. But there is a lot of social justice out there that has that has zero interest in seeing the kingdom come to this earth. Yeah, it's I mean it's absolutely gone to I mean you can you can see the agenda It's for with, political purposes within the it's justice. For, I mean you had you had a, a young black man that was shot and um even this this past summer. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden the conversation moves to race where like, for me, I wanted, I wanted to know like, like where's, what's the state of his soul? Like, does he know Christ? What about the victim that is clearly, you know, that, that, that called on him, that whatever, what about that young woman? Where's her justice at? It's just a mess, man. And we need to get back to clearly who we were supposed to be. Yeah. And that starts with me being willing to say, listen, brother, hey, uh, I'm a kingdom citizen. And if you're standing for things that aren't kingdom-minded, mm-hmm. obviously I'm going to be charitable. We're mm-hmm. friends. I'm not losing a friendship unless you walk away from me. Yeah, But I'm not budging from that, and I'm not going to allow my culture to push me into something that's not kingdom. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. You know, and I think for us to understand the kingdom, though, uh, calls for us to understand the Word of God more fully, and in this age of, um, you know, we just we just don't we we have people consuming more cultural content than than we do. Um, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It is, mm-hmm. and um, and and I think for us as pastors, it begins by speaking clearly. I mean, gone are the days where we can assume known knowns about people, right? That we can assume that you know the story of Moses or all the Old Testament stories. And uh, and so and we can assume that, you know, those in, in your congregation any given Sunday have, have uh, received salvation through Christ and are professing believers. We can't assume that anymore. I mean, the, the church used to be, you know, the early church was a place for believers to go. And that's why it was presumed, right? You brought someone in, you witnessed to them, you you led them to salvation out in the community, and then you brought them to church for teaching. And we we flip that now. It's it's come to church, hear a message, hear my pastors convince you, and then if you believe it, join a group. 
and it's opposite. So, yeah. so now, so now we are forced to have to uh, retreat a little bit, give a little bit more context about how how do you navigate books of the Bible and how they're categorized. I mean, if we want to get into it, we you have you most people bring their phones, right? I mean, so you're not physically flipping through Scripture, feeling. I joked with it. You know, I had a Bible study this morning with a guy, and uh, you know, just. I was one page off. I just happened to like open it up and it's, it's funny, but I can't, I think the more you navigate, like moving through, through your Bible and get used to yeah. it, you just kind of know where stuff's at. And, um, but I, I don't think that really happens as much anymore, especially as much as it was when I was younger, where we would have races on, on who could find a book of the Bible the fastest, you know, what does it mean to, to fulfill the great commandment to love God and love others? Well, what does love mean? right? Is love all inclusive or is God love? And if God is love, he is also holy and great. And so, and something that is unchanging. And so do we prescribe love to being full inclusion on every single lifestyle and every single choice everyone makes? Or do we say, if God is love, then the only way I can truly understand love and how to love is Christ in me. Follow him. I was just getting ready to say exactly that, man. Like the things that we believe are true in our culture or just like something simple like you've heard this often like cleanliness is next to godliness like you see surveys people actually believe that's in the scriptures that's not in the (laughs) scriptures i mean hey i like to i like a clean ordered environment but that's not in the scriptures i was also going to say like love understanding what love is like our culture is it's love means that you include everybody right or you include every idea yeah you do include you know we are love everybody that's a premise of the kingdom but to to love everybody is not to accept everything that is lived and taught that's hateful that's if you truly love a person it is it is hateful to endorse what they're doing as they're wrecking themselves right that's like giving somebody poison a a little bit at a time and saying well they wanted that candy you know if i if i gave my okay so we have a dog nelly uh, I'll use a dog, not a person. Yeah, antifreeze. But like she loves, she loves, she loves the taste of antifreeze. So I just keep giving it because she loves it. Yeah. What am no, I that's doing? Exactly what it is when you <laughs> when you them. reaffirm and you affirm sin in someone's life. That's right. It's and you don't want to be. It's uh, not loving. No, because we're scared to be offensive and we're scared to speak truth. Now that goes back to grace and truth, and the whole premise of this podcast and the heart of it is we want to share truth in the context of grace. That's right. And if we learn how to love well, Colossians 3.14, in addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. That's it. I'm excited about continuing to discuss charitably (laughs) um, Mm. how kingdom looks uh, with some of these things. And it begins with humility for us, this conversation. It it begins by um, proving that... uh, how much you care about someone and because of that this is why you know i i i i yearn for that in my own life yep. i try to put people around me listen where am i missing it yep. where are my blind spots yep. show me how how am i not being like christ in my life yep. call me out because i can't afford not to have that so i i think you're exactly right i in my own life i have had to repent and humble myself from some of the faulty thinking that even some of the stuff we're going to talk about in years past, I realized, whoa, that's not kingdom. Yeah. That's not the gospel. Mm-hmm. 
Are you going to be willing to humble yourself before the Lord and even be willing in my social context to say, hey, guys, I've thought about this wrong. I've stood for things that Mm -hmm. didn't really matter, that weren't really the kingdom. Uh, That's where it starts. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I are on that journey of trying to repent of anything that is not uh, kingdom-minded. And that's the only way this is going to work. Yeah, yeah. It's by humility. Yeah. It's by forgiveness. It's by grace. You know, what if, what if we what if we just assume the best of everyone when we got to meet them rather than, oh, this person's a liberal or a conservative? What if we thought, man, this person's a son of God. I'm excited to get to know them. And then, um, you know, from there, allow that relationship to foster. Because I think so often it's, oh, that person's a Biden supporter, that person's a Trump supporter. And then immediately, you, you know, shut down. you do. And if there is ever an election ever to give grace to two horribly flawed people, candidates, it's the two we had to pull the lever for this year. Yeah. And what if we just stopped with the tribalism of politics yeah. and moved towards a biblical unity centered around the word of God? Again, Jesus modeled that in such a way that he was loved by uh, what were called in scriptures sinners, publicans and sinners, because he was interested in developing relationships. He valued people, mm-hmm. and that's what we need to do. Paul, I mean, look at how Paul, uh, I reference Mars Hill so often. Paul understood that the heart of God is to love people. Yeah. And you can't love people until you get to know people, hear people, listen to people. And our culture is causing us to not do that. And we got to fight back. Yeah. Godly we, godly love for people. Yep. Spirit-rooted, Christ-manifesting, truth-cherishing, humbly loving unity is designed by God to have these two aims, a witness to the world, and an acclamation of the glory of God. And the Apostle John, actually, John 13, writes this, A new commandment I give you, to love one another, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. By this. Mm-hmm. All by men this, all, will know. Absolutely. Yep. All it. people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Is the church in America uh, characterized by that right now? It doesn't look like it to me. No. Something's broke. We need to fix it. We need to to understand our original call. Yeah. And live there and identify with that above all things. It's the only hope. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of Charitable Discourse. We hope it added value to your life and inspires you in your walk with Christ. To catch every episode of Charitable Discourse, we'd love it if you'd subscribe. And if you found value in today's content, would you consider sharing it with a friend or leaving a review? We believe true change and growth happens when we challenge ourselves and lead lives of charitable discourse.